Bless the Lord. He is here in our midst, there is no doubt. He promised he would, and the word of the Lord is faithful and true. <clears throat> Amen. Now last week, if you remember, I shared with you about a dream I had where there were twin rainbows rising from the horizon and the canopy of the sky was filled with enormous bouquets of flowers. And there were three things that I felt that that dream was saying, just by way of review. Firstly, that the Lord wants us to know how beautiful and how glorious he is. Secondly, it's speaking about our loving Father giving us beautiful gifts and saying, I'm thinking about you. You're special to me. I want to bless you. And thirdly, he not only gives us beautiful, sweetly perfumed delights, but he actually makes us a sweet-smelling bouquet to the world. Now, that's something. <laughs> wow. Now, in the first message, I shared some thoughts on the beauty of the Lord himself and how we can see that beauty and the love expressed in the Trinity between the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, how all of creation, visible and invisible, is a wonderful expression and reflection of the beauty of Creator God himself. And if you remember, I showed you some pics of some particularly ugly creatures, but God still sees them as beautiful because he created them. And of course, there is a beauty in the splendor of the Savior, our Saviour Jesus. So this morning, I want to share a few thoughts with you on the matter of the Lord giving us beautiful gifts, and then on the idea of him making us a fragrance to the world. But first, let's go back to the idea of bouquets of flowers. When we give flowers to our friends, it's because we want to bless them with something lovely. Something they can look at and enjoy. It's the colour, it's the perfume, it's the variety. Different types of flowers, different blooms, little blooms, big blooms and everything in between. And we might actually choose a particular colour scheme that's appropriate for an occasion. Or we may choose particular flowers and foliage that we know will especially bless our friend. We do it to give them a warm fuzzy. And when we receive a gift of flowers, it makes us feel appreciated. Well, it does for me anyway. Knowing somebody is thinking of us, knowing someone wants to tell us that we're loved and appreciated and that they want to bless us. Now, it's really no different with the Lord. It really is no different with him. And that's how I see those bouquets in my dream, being a picture of the Lord delighting in giving us lovely gifts. Delighting in saying, I love you. You're important to me. This is our blessing to you. And you may remember ages ago when I shared about the um, fruit of the Spirit being aspects of who the Lord is. And that passage in Zephaniah 3.17, and it says, The Lord will take great delight in you. He rejoices over you, singing and dancing. That's how much he loves us. Can you imagine the Lord's just having a dance and a song and a yippee because of you. Just because, just because. King David often wrote of his joy and delight in the wonderful gifts the Lord gives his beloved people. Oh, I have to show you some more flowers. So first of all, Psalm 16, 
verse 11. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You make known to me the path of paths of life and this bit. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 36, verse 7 and 8. <coughs> excuse me. Verse 7 and 8 thrills me every time I read it. How price <coughs> oh, excuse me. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the rivers of delight. The river of delight. Now the passion. I swim a lot. Oh, good. It's so beautiful to swim in the sea on a river. It's like a new life. Yes. It's really amazing. Yes, yes. So there's all sorts of imagery there in the river as well. And the Passion Translation says this. Oh God, God, <clears throat> how extravagant is your cherishing love. In verse 8, all may drink of the anointing from the abundance of your house. All may drink their fill from the rivers of Eden. And it leaves no doubt as to the Father's heart of giving love gifts to his children. Now it would be absolutely crazy to think that I could list all of God's gifts, gifts to us. <laughs> If we went through and found everyone in the Bible, there'd probably be 10 million more after that as well. But what greater gift could we possibly imagine than the gift of Jesus himself? We all know John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, because this verse is so well known, it can easily lose some of its power. Now, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The fall of Adam and the destruction of mankind made ample room and verge enough for love almighty. Amid the ruins of humanity, there was space for showing how much Jehovah loved the sons of men. For the compass of his love was no less than the world. The object of it, no less than to deliver men from going down to the pit. And the result of it, no less than the finding of a ransom for them. The black background of sin makes the bright line of love shine out the more clearly. Consider then what this gift was that God gave. When the great God gave his son, he gave himself. What more could he give? God gave his all. He gave himself. Who could measure that love? When the great God gave his son, he gave himself. Now, someone once expressed John 3.16 like this. God, the almighty authority, so loved the mightiest motive, 
that he gave the greatest gift, that whosoever the widest welcome believes in him the easiest escape should not perish the divine deliverance have everlasting life the priceless possession just go back through those again it's worth just looking at them again the almighty authority It's really something, isn't it? And I simply have to go back to the words of Baxter Kruger. I haven't quoted Baxter Kruger for quite a while, but this is what he said. If we are to understand why Jesus died and what happened in his death and what it means for us today, we have to go back to eternity, to the astonishing decision of the Father, Son, and Spirit to include us in their circle of life. For the reality that drives the coming of Jesus Christ and pushes him to the cross is the relentless and determined passion of the Father to have us as his beloved children. Now, I wonder how many of us think about Father God like that. Relentless passion. It's the relentless and determined passion of Father to have us as his beloved children. It's the very nature of God to bless and to bless and to keep on blessing. Jesus died to free us all from the curse and the penalty of sin and death. He willingly gave his life to become the actual sacrifice with which he made a new covenant with Father to release humanity from the power and the penalty of sin. So we get complete and absolute freedom. Complete and absolute freedom. And we all are familiar with the verses in John 8, 32 and 36. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What a glorious thing to be loved and valued by our Creator, despite our total unworthiness. Consider that despite the unworthiness and our inability to ever be worthy, Yet that relentless and determined passion of the Father and the overwhelming love of Jesus compelled him to offer himself as the living sacrifice to pay the penalty for our rebellion and sin. This magnificent salvation also gives us total and unhindered 24-7 access to Father. If you remember the story of the crucifixion and that heavy curtain in the temple, it split in two from top to bottom so that anybody could go to Father's presence. What can we say? There is nothing to say but to accept and enjoy this magnificent, unspeakable gift. Hallelujah. And that's not all. (laughs) If it were feasible, 
I'd like to read the whole of Ephesians, but we won't. We won't. And especially chapters 1 and 2. Now, I was listening to Graham Cook the other day, and he said, you can't just read Ephesians in your head. You've got to read it out loud. There is so much there, and especially in chapters 1 and 2. So, just for starters, I'll settle for this. Did I put here Ephesians chapter 1 and 2? I'll settle for this. Chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Verse 7 to 9. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Verse 13 and 14, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Verse 19 and 20, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, just in those verses, I counted eight, at least eight, major gifts to us as a consequence of Jesus' sacrifice. Paul frequently reminded the early church of this amazing, glorious gift of Holy Spirit dwelling within the believer. In Romans 8, verse 9 and in verse 11, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. And twice to the church at Corinth, do you not know that you are God's temple and the spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He really wanted them to get the message. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. You can't miss that message. He keeps repeating it. So with the presence of the Lord actually dwelling within the believer, there is literally no limit to what the Lord gives. Because he's given himself. He is eternal, everlasting, unending, etc. And he dwells within you and me and every believer. Now, if I were inclined to start listing the Lord's blessings, and again, (laughs) that would go on for all eternity, I could go to Deuteronomy 28. This is Old Testament stuff. okay? And in the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28, as far as I can see, every possible aspect of life is covered. If you obey me, this will be your blessing. And then we could think about Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah, and the, the prophecy that Jesus actually <coughs> excuse me, actually spoke himself 
This, these are the gifts that the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would give. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now in that little passage, I counted 10 major gifts, <clears throat> at least. Now they are just a tiny sample of the multiple gifts of healing, restoration and renewal that minister to our bodies, our souls and our spirits promised from Old Testament times. But for you and me, and for all New Testament believers, we can take hold of Hebrews 8, 6. Jesus, the Messiah, has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, since he is a catalyst of a better covenant, which contains far more wonderful promises. Now, how can you get more wonderful than everything? <laughs> the promises and the gifts of God for the New Testament believer are far more, promise, far more wonderful than those of the Old Testament. And the ones in the Old Testament are pretty good. Now, some of those far more wonderful gifts are presented to us in Paul's first letters to the Corinthians in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. In these chapters, Paul lists what we commonly call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, things like words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy and so on. Chapter 13, of course, is the beautiful love chapter. And 14 is about the gifts of tongues and prophecy in particular. What struck me especially as I looked at those familiar chapters again was firstly that they're available without prejudice to all believers. They're available without prejudice to all believers. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Then in verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these gifts given to individuals as love gifts from the Lord are to be enjoyed and to encourage and edify us, but they're also to be exercised on behalf of the church to encourage and edify others. This is to be our love response to, it, to the Lord, our thank you to him for the gifts he bestows. Now the whole subject is so vast and so wonderful, we'd be here forever. But in awe of this God who loves us that much, now, the last aspect I want to spend a few minutes on links in with the thought of people being a special blessing to one another, mm. encouraging and edifying one another. If you remember, the third message is such that I culled out of that dream is that the Lord makes his children a sweet-smelling savour to the world. 
And here's the passage that tells us that, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 16. It tells us that the church, the ecclesia, the ones who are called out, you and me, those who know and love the Lord Jesus, are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's the amplified version of that passage. We are ourselves a sweet fragrance which brings joy to Father's heart. Now, if you've never thought about that before, take some time and think about it. You actually bring joy to Father's heart. And, it, and we also show the glory and the beauty of Jesus to the world. Now, the Passion Translation of this passage says this. God always <clears throat> makes his grace visible in Christ, which includes us as partners of his endless triumph. Through our yielded life, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere he goes. Not just the knowledge of God, but the fragrance of the knowledge of God. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God. A perfume of life to those being saved and the odour of death to those who are perishing. The unbelievers smell a deadly stench that leads to death, but believers smell the life-giving aroma that leads to abundant life. And this links beautifully with the idea of being blessed to be a blessing. We've been given this glorious gift of relationships. And you may remember last week I mentioned the agape, self-giving love that is the essential nature of the Trinity. Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are created in the image of the triune God. And that's why I personally believe that the deepest joys we as humans experience in life are relational. They are the riches of special relationships. Our loving God brings people into our life to enrich us and bless us in very special ways. Now that might be a marriage, it might be a special friendship or even a small group of people who have a particular place in our life. And in each one, there is an appropriate level of intimacy that is life-giving, enriching, bringing significant meaning, beauty and joy to our life. Personally, I can testify that over the years I have been and continue to be deeply and richly blessed by the very special people that the Lord has put into my life. Some of you know a little bit of my story, and it includes a few very important relationships with people that I value as having been Father's very special gift to me at the time. When I left home in my early 20s to take a teaching job in Taranaki, my mother had already died and my father had remarried. 
And only months earlier, I had given my life to Jesus, but on the inside, I was really, really screwed up. A colleague had given me the address of a couple she knew in the town I was going to. And incidentally, in terms of the teaching career, I'd come from Auckland Girls Grammar School where it was still very, very following the rules. And I went to a freezing works town. <laughs> and you can't really get too different. <laughs> so, so, so quite apart from all the personal emotional stuff I was messing with, I was also trying to mess with how do I teach these children who earn more in the holidays than my teaching salary paid me when they went for a job in the freezing work. <laughs> mm, moving right along. So... She had given me the address of this couple. And so, long story short, this very precious couple and their family simply loved me and walked with me through the ups and downs of the next few years. They were truly a wonderful gift from my loving father, encouraging me, supporting me, and helping me in my faith. Fast forward a few years, and I felt led to join a Christian group at a conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, there the Lord brought me into contact with two other New Zealand women, one of whom eventually employed me. But the other woman faithfully took me through 10 years of very painful healing and growth. And again, she was the Lord's gift to me at the time. My today testimony is that my gracious Lord and loving Father has continued to bless me with wonderful and very special friends who, as I said before, deeply enrich my life. Ephesians 1.18, Paul's prayer is that we might understand that God's glory and splendor is inside us. We are his inheritance. He prayed that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, how wonderful is that? We, you and I, are God's inheritance. We're not only a delight to the Lord, but he has made us the sweet-smelling fragrance of his grace to the world. Not only does he pour out his love and blessing on us, but he wants us in turn to give that to the world. Blessed to be a blessing. Romans 10, which is quoting Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet. That sweet-smelling savour comes from the life given over in obedience to the Lord, the abundant life of true freedom and victory in Christ, as we read in that Corinthians passage above. And so although I have outlined three different aspects of beauty in and through the Lord, they are in fact intimately entwined together. <clears throat> in the beginning, God. He is the supreme, glorious, wonderful creator who by very nature only does wonderful things. And Psalm 72 says this, Praise Yahweh forever, the God of Israel. He is the one and only God of wonders, surpassing every expectation. The blazing glory of his name will be praised forever. May the earth overflow with his glory. 
He is the giver of wonderful, glorious gifts because he can't do anything else without violating his nature. He can't do anything but wonderful stuff. All those glorious, beautiful gifts include his chosen, saved, and redeemed disciples, i.e. you and me. The redeemed of the Lord are the expression of his nature on earth, demonstrating the beauty of who the Lord is to all around us. So all three aspects are really just expressions of the beauty and the wonder of the Lord himself. Now, here's another thing from Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this. Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God has blessed us with spiritual blessings. They are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless and value. So I pray that David's prayer will be one that we pray as well. Psalm 27. Oh, did I go too far? No? I must have missed it out. Oh. Not far enough, maybe. Maybe it's, maybe it's Psalm 72 and I've got 27 here or vice versa. I'm not dyslexic, I promise. I'm not. <laughs> Whatever it is. It's a verse 4 anyway. It's either 27, 4 or it's 72, 4. I think it's 27. 27, 4. And I've just messed that one up. I'm sorry. 4, I've asked the Lord for one thing. Yes, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So I'll just read that again. One thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are beautiful. Lord, that everything about you is wonderful and beautiful. And you have made us in your image. Lord, I pray that the words I have shared will sink deeply into our hearts and that we will begin to understand something more and more of just how precious we are to you. And Lord, that our hearts will rise up in fresh praise, fresh wonder of who you are. Lord, we need to know you more and more. We need to understand 
new and wonderful things about who you are. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. Touch each one. Touch our hearts, Lord God. Oh, Lord, glory, glory to your name. Oh, mighty God. Let's just take a moment or two and, and just let Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. Let him show you something very special about who God is. And maybe there's something in your heart where you've thought that God might still be angry. He might be an angry God. He might not love you because whatever. Let him show you. Let him show you how precious you are in his sight.